Um, what we're going to do is try and look at the whole book of Philippians. Um, one thing that can happen when we study the way we do uh, a book is that you can get really um, tunnel vision as you look at passages. So we, as we go through like we do and we cover you know, maybe a couple verses or maybe when we're really ambitious cover a whole paragraph uh, in one time, that allows you to see a, a small portion of the book in great depth. But one of the things that it does not do is it does not give you a good vision for the overarching structure, form, and flow of the book. Uh, So one thing we're going to do today is we're going to look at the whole book of Philippians. uh, And I I was originally torn a little bit between between kind of giving you a a detailed overview. uh, But I think instead I'm going to give you a brief overview and then give you some skills, give you some habits for better understanding a book as a whole in your own personal time in the scriptures. Uh, So... Today we're going to be reading, as I said, we're going to be covering the whole book. So our passage today is Philippians, the whole book. Uh, So we're we're actually going to read through it. Uh, You know, one of the things Paul exhorts Timothy to do, I I believe it's in 1 Timothy, is he says, do not neglect the public reading of the scriptures. Uh, One of the things I'd encourage you to do as well in your own personal time with the Lord is uh, sometimes as, as you read the scripture, just read it aloud. Uh, There can be ways in which it helps focus your brain, ways in which the text can come alive in a different way when we read aloud than normally. Uh, So starting in Philippians chapter 1, let's read the word of the Lord. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless For the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ out from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, 
but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflicts that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain 
or labor in vain. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him to you just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason to put confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. 
Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my Beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. For you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need. For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth contained in it. 
We pray, Lord, as we come together to seek you, to serve you, to love you, to worship you, that you might give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that are soft and open to your word, to your will, to your work within us. Lord, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would, you would help us to grow in faith, hope, and love towards you to your praise, to your honor, and to your glory. In the beautiful and precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So as I said, that's a little unusual. We don't usually cover a a, a whole book or read a whole book, but one of the things I want you to notice is that we just read the entire book of Philippians, and it took less than 15 minutes. So I think sometimes as, as we're studying the Bible, you, you know, we, we, we break it up, we try and go real deep. But I want to encourage you at, at times, go through a whole book. It, it'll allow you to see connections. It'll allow you to see uh, different things within the book that you might not see if you're going verse by verse or paragraph by paragraph or even chapter by chapter. Uh, a, a, a lot of times I think we, we forget, you know, books like Philippians, they were letters, and a lot of times we don't necessarily read them like letters. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never gotten a letter and looked at it and said, Dear Seth, okay, now what do they mean by dear? You know, they're probably an affectionate greeting towards... No, that's not what we do. You know, if you get a letter, particularly if it's from somebody you want, what do you do first? You rip through the whole thing. You read it all. Now then, afterwards, you may go back and start dissecting it and saying, oh, what do they mean here? What, what do they mean by this? And, and, and picking it apart. Uh, but, but one of the things we, we need to do as we're studying Scripture is attempt to get an understanding of the whole book so that we, we can see what's going on, the, the context of the larger book. One of the ways we do this is by reading the whole book. And, and many of the books... In fact, I'd say most of the books you can read in one sitting. Now, you might have a little bit of trouble with Isaiah, and the Psalms might be a little bit ambitious to try and read in in one sitting. But for most of the books of the Bible, it's possible in one sitting to to sit down and read it from beginning to end. Uh, And I would encourage you, not all the time, but at least some of the time in your study of God's Word and your private devotionals, read through a whole book. Take a look at the whole thing. Uh, One of my seminary, actually, I think it was in Bible college, one of my Bible college professors uh, gave a quote from somebody that said, you don't really know a book of the Bible until you've read it at least 33 times. Now, if you're going verse by verse, it's going to take you a long time to, to get a handle on a particular book of the Bible. That's one of the things that's convicting to me. Before studying or teaching a book, I try and read it over and over again. And I don't know if you've had this experience, but one of the things that will happen as you read over and over, uh, it, it's really particular. Uh, it, there, see, in fact, um, sorry, not C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton says, uh, if you look at something 999 times, you can be perfectly safe. But there's a danger at looking at something for the thousandth time. And that danger is you will see it for the first time. And you will see it as it truly is. That happens a lot with Scripture. You know, there are times when I'm, I'm reading, I'm looking at the Bible, and uh, I'm reading a passage. I know I've read the passage. I've read the book many times. And I'm, I've 
promise you, I think somebody sneaks in and changes my Bible for a near exact duplicate, and they've just added something into it. Because I'll see something that I had never seen before. Even though I'd read the passage over and over again, maybe it's a change in my state or, or, or something that's going on, something just pops out at you. And there are times where I say, I could swear that wasn't in there before. Somebody, somebody must have come and, and, and added that. There's a reward for those who continually read God's Word and dive deep into it. Uh, as we look at the book of Philippians, one of the things I want to do is, is just give you a brief synopsis of the book. And um, then I want to show you a, kind of a, some methodologies, some, some habits that we've already talked about. One, which is reading a whole book in one sitting that will help us and, and facilitate us better understanding how a book as a whole fits together. Uh, as we look at Philippians and as we've studied in the book of Philippians, Paul's writing from prison to a church that he founded in the city of Philippi that is also experiencing persecution. Uh, Philippi was a Roman colony, and as such, its citizens had special privileges, and uh, they also even though they were persecuted, partnered with Paul in supporting many of his missionary endeavors, even right after they became believers. The, the purpose of the letter of Philippians was to exhort the Philippians to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus by standing unified in the faith of the gospel in the midst of persecution. In order to promote this idea, Paul weaves the themes of living joyfully, sacrificial humility, heavenly citizenship, and final vindication when Christ Jesus returns throughout the book. Paul begins the letter by expressing his confidence in God and the triumph of the gospel. He does this first by giving thanks for God's work in the Philippians. That's one of the reasons why he has the confidence in their salvation is because he knows their salvation isn't a work of their own strength. It's a work of God's own power. He gives thanks for God's work in and among the Philippians, expressing joy in his conviction that God will complete that work that he started in them. Secondly, he assures the Philippians that he himself is rejoicing in the progress that the gospel has had, not only despite of, but because of his own imprisonment. Paul then exhorts the Philippians to work out their salvation through God's empowerment by understanding that the humble and self-sacrificial work of Jesus Christ in his incarnation, in his life, in his death, and in his vindication are an example for us to follow. He also presents other models of self-sacrificial service in exhorting them to live out the gospel. He presents himself. He presents Timothy and Epaphroditus as models of self-sacrificial work. Paul knows that developing this humility and is a necessary practice in order for the uh, Philippians to maintain the unity of the gospel and to progress them towards maturity. 
Paul then moves to exhorting the church to avoid false doctrines and practices. Another way in which they're to stand united in the faith of the gospel. He calls on them to follow those who live as citizens of heaven, whose way of being made right before God is the way of faith that depends on Christ's righteousness. And he firmly warns them against those who follow the way of works, who depend on their own self-righteousness to be made right before God. And avoid those whose preoccupation is worth the things of this world. Finally, Paul gives exhortations that encourage the believers to find their strength and their joy in the Lord. Through resolving disagreements, through experiencing God's peace by prayer and a virtuous thought life, through continued worship and dependence on God in their financial giving. All this weaves together and presents a picture of ways in which we live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, as I said, that's kind of my synopsis, my way of summarizing the book. And I want to take a little bit of time and show you how you can come up with a summary of yourself or of this of a book of the Bible. Uh, one of the first ways is, is to divide out the book paragraph by paragraph and just give each paragraph a, a little title. Uh, so in the book of Philippians, in, in my translation, there are 22 paragraphs. So one of the things I did is, is I listed out 22, uh, tw- 20, I created a list of 22, and then be- began describing what's in each paragraph. Now, on the, on the first time you go through this, it could be pretty general. Um, take, for example, uh, Philippians 1, 12 through 14. That's, that's a paragraph in my translation. As uh, We're not quite there yet. Uh, we, we will, as you look at it, in that paragraph, uh, Paul's describing what? Just a brief description. Philippians 12 through 14. This is okay to interact. His imprisonment. Yeah, so first go through, you might just write Paul's imprisonment as a a description for that paragraph. Uh, Then one of the things you want to do is after you've kind of gone and given kind of general or generic descriptions for each paragraph, uh, you want to to refine them. And and the way you do that is by being more specific. and the way, as you make it more specific, you're going to end up with a longer description. This, by the way, begins what we call an interpretive process. In the first section, you're just observing what's there. Next, you have to kind of interpret it. Say, okay, in this paragraph, what's important? What's dependent on other things? Uh, one of the things that's uh, helpful to think about as you're, as you're doing this process is anytime somebody is speaking, anytime somebody is describing something to you, what they're doing is they're answering a question. Whether you realize it or not, they're answering a question. So part of your goal is to figure out, in saying these things, what is the question that the author is answering? This is an interpretive move. 
Uh, this is also where a lot of the danger in our, our language comes from. It's anybody who's married can attest. It's not only what you say, it is how what you say is interpreted that uh, can cause some trouble. For, for example, one of the uh, examples I've heard of this is the sentence, I never said she took my money. Okay, that's one sentence with seven words. It can have a different interpretation, seven at least, based on where you think the emphasis in that sentence is. So, I mean, I never said she took my money. I never said she took my money. I never, I never said she took my money. I never said she, she took my money. You, you, you see how the different emphasis can, can make you believe that I am saying something slightly different with each variation. In the same way, when we come to Scripture, a lot of times we are interpreting it, but a lot of times we don't realize that we're interpreting it. So one of the things this process will do is it'll make you think explicitly what you're naturally doing implicitly, and that is figuring out what the passage is about. Uh, So with the paragraph... We started with, uh, we've said that he's talking about Paul's imprisonment. Now, one of the things we have to do as as we're doing this process that's helpful for me to think about is to think in terms of a subject and a complement. A a subject is determining what you're talking about, and a complement is figuring out what you're saying about what you're talking about. So the first thing, we say, okay, it's about Paul's imprisonment. We'll, we'll look at the passage. Uh, what's he say? He says, what has happened to me, meaning his, his imprisonment, has served to advance the gospel uh, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest, my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by the, my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he's talking about his imprisonment, but that's kind of general. Well, let's figure out what in particular he's saying about his imprisonment. Now, is he talking about the, the manner in which he's been imprisoned? What the conditions are like in the jail? No. Is, is he talking about the reason why he's been imprisoned? The accusations that are against him? No, not, not really. Uh, is he talking about the result of what has happened because of his imprisonment. Okay, yeah. Okay, so now we went from kind of the generic Paul's imprisonment. We now have a a bigger subject, which is the result of Paul's imprisonment. Now, is the result he's talking about what you would expect, or is it something a little bit surprising? It's surprising. He, He says, I want you to know that what has happened, it's, it's actually been different. I want you to know this. Why? Because it's unexpected. So, so now we have it even, even, even more specific. The surprising result of Paul's imprisonment. Okay, so that's our subject. What should the compliment be? What is the surprising result of Paul's imprisonment? The advancement of the gospel. The advancement of the gospel. Okay, now that, that, that was an interpretive move there. You had a couple of choices. It's the advance of the gospel, uh, the, the word going out throughout the whole imperial guard, the, the brothers becoming bold in his imprisonment to speak the word without fear. Now, w- what you did right there, whether or not you realize it, was an interpretive move. 
It's saying that the advance of the gospel is the main thing that's there, and that those other two things are means by which the gospel is conveyed. All right, so now if we kind of put all that together in this process, it's the, let's see, the surprising result of Paul's imprisonment is that it is served to advance the gospel by making it known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and by emboldening believers to speak the word without fear. Okay, so now we have in one sentence that's not a run-on sentence, a description of this paragraph. Do y'all kind of get the process? This is kind of, I mean, this is almost going back to like grammar school days, so I know this can be rough for some of us. But do y'all understand this, this process of interpreting a passage and figure out, okay, what's the author talking about? All right. So this is a process you go through with the paragraphs. Hopefully this is something that will help you in your general study of the Bible to realize, you know, we are interpreting as we're reading. We are bringing out our own emphasis and looking at the Scripture and saying, okay, is is this the right emphasis? Now, uh, once you go through that process, uh, by the way, don't try and take notes. This is just for a a visual demonstration because it's going to be too small and it's actually incomplete. Uh, You'll end up with something like this. So that's, that's 22 paragraphs. Those are some of the descriptions I, I wrote out in it. Now, one of the things you do after this is you have to figure out how do these paragraphs relate to one another. Uh, this, is, this is where it gets a little more complicated, gets a little bit hard, but you try and think, okay, is this paragraph supporting this idea? Is, is this uh, uh, paragraph concluding what this other paragraph is saying? And I'll I'll show you kind of how I do it. What I'll do is I'll take what I think are supporting arguments and move them over to the right, and I'll keep the main arguments over to the left. And uh, what you'll end up with is something that looks a little like that. So I move over to the right the things that I think are supporting, and then I'll group them into subpoints. And then I'll end up with one thing that I think is the main point over the whole thing. So for me, it's the section where Paul's exhorting the Philippians to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think everything else structurally is going through this. Now, as you go through this process, this is a hard process. There are a couple different ways to, to support this. There are a couple different ways to interpret this. Uh, there are other people who might pick a different passage that they think everything else on the book hinges on. And in fact, there, there are times when I've gone through this process and I've had to change it because I, I thought, okay, I think this is a, a major theme or a major point of the book, but this section and this section don't really support that in a direct way. So I may have to try and find something else that's the emphasis of the whole book. Uh, from that point, I take the, the thing that's on the far left and then I, I take the supporting arguments and I try and summarize them. Uh, that's what we ended up with, and, and I read to you at the beginning of this. So that, that's the process by which I try and get a summary understanding of a singular book. And, and I know this message is a, a little bit different, uh, but my goal is, is to have it be an equipping lesson more than just a teaching lesson. Rather than me giving you content, I want to give you a process that will hopefully improve your own study of the Bible. There's, uh, of course, the old saying that, that says, you know, 
if you feed a man a fish, he'll eat for one day. If you teach a man to fish, he'll have fish anytime he eats. Um, no, if, if you teach a man to fish, uh, then you provide him meals for any time. So th- this is hopefully a process by which you can get more out of the Word of God in your own study. It's a way of understanding how a book fits together. I know this has been kind of complicated, a little bit difficult, maybe too much reminder of uh, your days uh, studying grammar in Eng- English class. Um, but I have confidence in y'all because I figure if people come out on a Sunday evening, they've got a degree of hunger for the Word of God that's probably a little higher than the, the rest of the population. And there's a, a level of depth that y'all can understand in interpreting the Word of God, in studying the Word of God. I hope that as you study the Word of God, you grow in faith, hope, and love. I, I, I hope that these tools help you better understand, better and know Jesus, know Jesus Christ by seeing how His Word fits together, by seeing the beauty that is in the Word of God, the structure, the order which God has endowed it with. Let us close now in, or let us end the message in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth contained in it. We pray, Lord, that we would be faithful followers of you, that you would help us to understand your word. Lord, we pray that we would be faithful in reading your word. Lord, we pray that we would be diligent in interpreting your word. Lord, we pray that we would be joyful and progressing in our faith by the power of your word and the power of your spirit working within us. Lord, may we be living out your truth and not just learning about your truth, that we might be a people for your own possession, that we might be live as citizens of heaven in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, standing united in the faith of the gospel in the midst of a dark and dying world. May we live as ones who have been redeemed and saved by the Lord of life and light, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.